going... Oh, I haven't even turned my microphone on. Rookie error. Right, hi all. Hello. Um, you can tell Philip's not here, because don't tell him, probably watch online, but um, I put my Bible on this today, and usually we're sort of hands-free, but occasionally if you see me do this, it's because we've got a lot of Bible to get through today. I want it just there. Um, so there we go. Um, I'm Chloe. Hi. Um, if I haven't met you before, do come and say hi. I love to meet new people, old people. Come say hi. Um, I'm usually part of Metro Welcome Team, but very occasionally come up and do one of these talks. Um, so this week, I have been entrusted with part four of our series on the call. Um, and here at Metro, we talk about how we exist to help people find Jesus, love one another, follow Jesus, and serve our city. And this series on the call definitely comes under the following Jesus part, because we're looking at, okay, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What's that about? Because being a Christian is far more than having prayed a prayer once, um, and it, it's involves our whole lives, the decisions that we make, the way we live our life, and we're looking at, okay, what is our calling as a Christian? What does Jesus call us to do? What should life look like? And today, we're going to be looking at the fourth part, and we are looking at the call to give. So, everyone's favorite topic, we're doing money! Yeah! So, if you're brand new with us this week, um, or you've popped along with a friend, and this is your literal worst nightmare of a church talking about giving money, welcome to you. <laughs> we love to provide a good welcome. Um, but actually, for all of us right now, the topic of money can be pretty anxiety-inducing. Um, you go on the media, and it is full of scare stories about financial crisis, about the cost of living crisis, about interest rate rising, and what that means for us and future housing options and mortgages and rent rates rising. And just being able to pay the bills, it's pretty crazy. And when I was asked to do a talk on giving money, I thought, oh, goodness me, this is going to be hard. Because I know who I'm talking to. I know that really our generations are the generations that are hit hardest by this financial mess right now. And also, I'd like to think I kind of know you guys a bit personally. I've been around at Metro a while. Um, and I know that actually sat here today are people who have got situations where, like, for example, they don't earn enough money in their job to move out of their parents' house. Or they would love to have a deposit for a house, but there's just no way they're going to be able to save that amount of money. Or actually just making rent payments right now and just cost of general life is really, really hard. But my aim today is not to make us feel more anxious about money, but actually in the, looking at what Jesus says about money, and my prayer for all of us is that it's going to be really refreshing for us at a time that we need it the most. Because here at Metro, we don't shy away from talking about money. We do regular talks on money. Because Jesus didn't shy away from the topic either. What was really surprising is when I looked at it, um, there's actually twice as many verses in the New Testament about money than there is about prayer and faith combined. And 11 out of Jesus' 39 parables are all about money and possessions and wealth, which kind of begs the question, well, why did Jesus talk so much about money? And what has it got to do with our calling, the way that we live our life as Christians? So we're going to be unpacking that a little bit together today. Um, 
We are looking at Matthew, which um, we've been doing in this series. And Matthew is the first uh, gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. It's about his life and times in the New Testament. Um, And we're looking at Matthew 19 today. So it's going to be behind me. I'm going to follow on here. But if you want to get an actual Bible out, extra points for you, or a phone with it on, great, follow along. We're going to go through it together in Matthew 19 um, from verse 16. And today we meet a guy who's kind of asking the same questions that we're asking. He's going, okay, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What's that all about? So we're going to meet him now, so let's launch into it. So this is Matthew 19 from verse 16. So this says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? So first up, eternal life. Um, This man is not asking, how can I get into heaven? He's not asking about the pie in the sky when we die type thing. What he is asking is, the translation of eternal life isn't great here. He's more asking about the quality of life from here on in. He's saying, Jesus, I can see you. I can see what you're about, your kingdom way of life, and this life to the full that you have promised. And I want in on that. What have I got to do to get in on that? So Jesus tells him, Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Now, this guy clearly has an Old Testament way of thinking, okay? So in that, he is quite a religious guy. He's keeping all the commandments. He's doing the right thing. And he thinks that to have Jesus' life to the full is all about what he can do. And Jesus came really clearly to say, actually, guys, it's not about what you can do. You're not perfect. That doesn't end up well when we go down that route. But Jesus' good news was that it's through Jesus that we can have a right relationship with God. Okay? And Jesus sees this guy, and rather than going into the explanation, he goes, right, I can communicate with this guy about the commandments. The guy wants to talk about the commandments. Let's talk about the commandments. And he says, keep the commandments. And the guy says, Which ones? He's like, come on, Jesus, give me a tick list, something I can do really easily here. Um, And Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. So turn to the person next to you, have a count, how many commandments is this? I'm not hearing conferring, confer with your neighbour. How many commandments is that? Six. Six. Yeah, it is. Actually, the love your neighbor as yourself is Jesus' way of summarizing the five commandments there. Okay, so we've got five of the originals and one that Jesus adds on to summarize it. How many commandments should there be? Ten. Exactly. All the Bible points to you guys today. Well done. Um, So, bear that in mind. Keep it on your head. This isn't all the commandments, okay? All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And this guy's like, I'm doing all the stuff to the letter. I'm a good religious boy. I keep the rules. But yet, if I'm honest, inwardly, I'm not really feeling this. Something's not right. I feel a lack. I'm not feeling that life to the full that Jesus has promised. And Jesus went on and he answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now this man was rich, super, super rich. 
And whilst he clearly felt like he was a good keeper of God's commandments, because he felt this lack, he asked Jesus quite a dangerous question. He said, Jesus, what do I lack? And Jesus really hones in on the heart of the matter for this guy. Because whilst he feels like he has kept the commandments, the five commandments that Jesus mentioned are generally all to do with how we love each other, our relationship to those around us. The five commandments that Jesus didn't mention were the ones to do with relationship with God. And what this guy has failed to do is he's fallen at the first hurdle. He's failed to do the very first commandment, which is... Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Well done. Um, have no other gods before me. Well done, Matt Miles. Bible points to you. Um, have no idols in front of God. Have no other gods before God. Put him first. Because what this guy has done is he has made money and possessions and wealth the bigger thing. He's fallen at the very first hurdle. He's made this idol in his life. And that doesn't bring satisfaction. And time and time again in the Bible, we we see this commandment in action, God saying, have no other gods before me, and people, particularly in the Old Testament, getting themselves into some real messes when they didn't do that. For example, worshipping the golden calf when Moses was up the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. Real messes, not good stuff. But it does make us ask the question, why is this the first commandment? Why shouldn't we put stuff in front of God? Is it because he is selfish and egotistical and everything has to be about him? Thankfully not. No, I'd be good. I know Philip's not here, but no, it's not that. I'm not going to say that. Um, It's because God made us and he loves us. He knows how we work as humans. He knows ultimately that all that stuff around us is good stuff mostly, but if we put it in front of him, it can really mess us up. It doesn't ultimately bring us fulfillment and happiness and thriving in the way that he wants to see us go. And for this man, it was his money that he'd put in front of God. What was getting in the way of following Jesus' call to come follow me was his money and his possessions. And Jesus issues him this ultimatum and he says, right, give away your possessions and then come follow me. It's your money or it's following me. And what's really sad is this guy's life is so based around his money and possessions, he has to walk away. He so wants that Jesus relationship, that life to the full, but money has become this massive hold on his life. And Jesus went on to use this as a teaching moment. So, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus really doesn't beat around the bush here. He says, look, guys, having a lot of wealth doesn't actually set you up for success here. In fact, it's really hard to have wealth and to follow Jesus. Now, we can read this account and we can make two big mistakes. The first big mistake that we make is that we go, right, this command to give away all possessions and give away all money is for everybody. But actually, this is not a prerequisite that Jesus gave very often to people when he said, come follow me. In fact, we've got quite a few encounters of the New Testament where Jesus did meet wealthy people and he didn't tell them to do the same thing. We've got encounters like Jesus with Zacchaeus, who when Zacchaeus said, yeah, Jesus, I want to follow your way of doing things, Jesus didn't say, right, go and give everything away, but, Jesus, but um, Zacchaeus chose to go and um, make up for the wrongdoing that he'd done. He chose to go and give, give away um, over and above what he'd wronged people out of. But I still suspect that that guy had some money. 
And we see people like Joseph of Arimathea, who was a guy who, um, when Jesus died, said, you can have my family tomb. If you had a family tomb in those days, it's because you were pretty wealthy. He was a guy who used this for Jesus. And later on in the New Testament, we see other encounters of people that we believe in history to have been quite wealthy. So we see encounters of people like Lydia, who we think is some kind of businesswoman of the time, and she opened up her home for one of the first churches. And Barnabas, who was a missionary, um, and again, we think he came from some wealth, and he sold fields to fund what they were doing. And the pattern here isn't give it all away, but the pattern very much is that these are people who use their wealth powerfully for the kingdom of God, who realized that money didn't need to control their life, but they could use money for God's kingdom really well. Now, I know, um, know of and know some Christians who are quite wealthy, and they too use their money powerfully for the kingdom of God. But the second mistake we can make is that we can say, right, well, this was a story specifically for this guy. The command to give, the call to give is definitely not for me, or at least especially not for me because I don't feel very wealthy. Um, but the reality is that actually if we've got a roof over our heads and some kind of disposable income, we are way up there in terms of proportion of global wealth. We are relatively rich. And if we're honest, in our society... Things are based around money. And I think Jesus talks about it so much because he knows that money is going to be the ultimate challenge for us, the ultimate idol in our life. And when we, when we think about it, it can't just be me here while I was thinking about it, but when we stop and we go, okay, what is my life based around? So often our happiness is dependent on how much we're earning. Our comfort and security is how much we've got on our savings account, in our bank account. And the flip side of that is when we don't have those things, we panic, we feel dis dissatisfaction, we go, oh my goodness, I'm not going to survive this, I feel really anxious, um, I've got no security, I've got no financial security, things aren't good. And the real shame with that is that when we put money as the focus in our life like that, we lose the dependence that we're meant to have on God. That actually our thriving, our happiness, our security, our comfort should be coming from knowing him, not from the amount that we've got in our bank account. And Jesus makes it really, really clear here and in other passages in the New Testament, there's loads of them, um, that actually to be a follower of him, we need to get our relationship with money sorted. We need to work out who are we serving? Are we serving money or are we serving God? Jesus said very clear things like in Matthew 6, you cannot serve both God and money. And whilst Jesus' call to give away all possessions absolutely wasn't for everyone, the call to give is not just for a few of us. The Bible makes it so clear right from the beginning all the way through to the end that the call to give is for all God's people. Really early on in the Bible, it sets up the idea of tithing, um, which literally means giving a tenth. Um, and so what happened was that when people got produce or livestock or some finances in, they gave the first tenth of that back to God. What's interesting about this principle is, that, is it's one that we tend to adopt now. Lots of Christians tithe. Um, and here at Metro, we adopt the same kinds of principles. We don't say um, when we talk about money that it has to be a tenth, but when we do our topics of money, when we do our Metro mentoring on money, um, we talk about the fact that our giving should be predetermined, that we should think about how much money we want to give, that it should be prioritized, it should be um, the first thing that comes out of our account each month, not giving out of the leftovers. And it should be proportionate to our financial situation. And 
I think the thing is, it would be really handy if I could stop there. If I could say, great, right, Jesus is called to give, everyone needs to give a tithe, great, I'm going to sit back down again now. But the awkward thing is that that's not how Jesus took it. When we look at what Jesus said about money, yeah, sure, he was all in about the tithe stuff, but Jesus really called his people to a life of radical generosity. 10% was the bare minimum. It was radical generosity. So why was that? Why is Jesus calling people who follow him to a life of radical generosity? He's already told this guy in the passage that he's not perfect, that only God is good, um, and that um, you know, he can't buy his way into heaven. And no matter how much we give, it doesn't make God love us any more or any less. So why does Jesus constantly talk about a life of radical generosity? Interestingly, the disciples began to ask similar questions. So here we go, next bit of the passage. When the disciples heard this, so the idea that Jesus has effectively said, just because this man's rich doesn't help him out, they were greatly astonished, as you would be, because in what other situation does that happen, that a rich man can't get what he wants? (laughs) Um, And he asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Now, anyone who knows Peter, um, read his story. This is classic Peter. This is Peter at his peak, okay? Um, He is constantly putting his foot in it. Um, And basically, he's saying here, Jesus, what about the money? I thought we were were giving everything up. I thought at least we'd get wealthy in the process. Come on, what is there going to be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Now Jesus basically says, what you give, you're going to get a hundred times back better. It's going to be totally worth it. But we've got to be a bit careful here. <laughs> because if this is in a literal material sense, then Jesus effectively promises them a hundred wives. And anyone who has one spouse will tell you that that is plenty enough. Thank you very much. And if you had a hundred mums, imagine Mother's Day, the expense. It would be crazy. Okay? And people over the years have taken passages like this and taken it really literally. And they've said, okay, if you give this particular pastor all your money, God's going to give you loads of wealth. And it becomes a bit of a situation. Um, And that is the prosperity gospel. Thankfully, that is not the good news of Jesus. But what Jesus is saying is that... (laughs) Yeah, okay, you don't get it back in a, in a material sense per se, but absolutely, you're going to get 100 times back better in a spiritual sense because giving is good for us. Giving is good for us in three ways. Giving is good for us up, giving is good for us in, and giving is good for us out. So first up, up. Giving is good for our relationship with God. If we're honest, so many of us, need to loosen the grasp of money in our life. We're clinging onto it so tightly that actually we fail to be able to take up Jesus' call to come and follow him because we're holding on so tight. We need to remember that ultimately our dependency in life needs to come from God. Our security and comfort need to come from God, not our financial situation. And giving is great for our relationship with God because it's a physical act of saying, God, 
I trust you. Every time I give, I remind myself that you are the biggest thing in my life, the thing that is keeping me going. And it's literally putting our money where our mouth is, right? Like when we're saying, God, we trust you, we're then giving to follow that through. Giving is good for us looking in because giving is actually good for our happiness. Studies have shown that actually, as humans, we tend to live with a bit of a lack mentality. Um, And I remember Philip talking about money. It must have been about 18 months ago now, and I haven't gone back and watched the talk, but bear with me a sec. You can go back and find it if you like. He was saying that essentially they'd done this study where they had surveyed people who earned all different kinds of salaries, who had all different amounts of money. And basically what people had said is no matter how much money they had, they always wanted about 10% more to feel like they had enough. And I often think, oh gosh, actually, money you know, can make us more comfortable and happier. But what was so interesting about that is it seems that even when people are really rich, they still want that little bit more. Money just can't satisfy us. Money isn't fulfilling on its own. I've been really struck. Um, I was reading a passage in Luke, in Luke 12, and Jesus said, life doesn't consist of an abundance of possessions. I was thinking, wow, that's so countercultural because if I'm honest, I go on my phone for five minutes, what I'm sold is that really living, really living, existing, traveling around the world, having all the latest products, wearing nice clothes. Everything around me, my world, tells me that life does consist of an abundance of possessions. But here Jesus goes, life doesn't consist of an abundance of possessions. And we see this with this guy. He was clearly really wealthy. He had all the stuff. But yet he's saying, God, I can feel this lack in my life. And really interesting when we look at some of the commands and calls that we're given as followers of Jesus, that they're less about kind of religion and more about relationship. They're more about actually helping us out to thrive and do well in life. So, for example, we've got the call for us to Sabbath, to take a day off a week, to rest and relax and to recoup and to have great relationship with God in that time. And that's God's antidote to life's busyness. He knows we're going to need it. And Jesus' call to give is an antidote. It's the antidote to our I lack mentality. Because when we're giving, we actually end up worrying less about our money. Which seems backwards, I know, so bear with me. (laughs) But here's how. Um, When we're giving money away, it stops the idea that this is mine, it's all mine. And anyone who's a decent human here, if you're given a gift, um, you're generally pretty happy with it. You're content. You're not going, oh, no, I wanted the next model, unless you're a bit grumpy. Um, You go, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to be really happy to use this thing. And when we remember that actually all the material blessing that we've got is a good gift from God, our jobs are a gift from God, whether or not you believe that, they are a gift from God, Um, actually, it it stops us being unhappy with it. It grows contentment in us in a really amazing way. And when we're giving, it reminds us that we're in charge of our money. Money doesn't, you know, money doesn't dictate our lives. Actually, we get to use money to serve us. We're not serving money. And giving is good for us looking out. Giving massively blesses and benefits other people in a huge way, in a way that can have ultimate, everlasting value. When Jesus told this man in this passage to give his possessions away, he said, and you will have treasure in heaven. And that's what we're aiming for, the stuff that's got ultimate, everlasting value, that's going to be really good stuff going forward. When we get into the mindset that actually our, um, our money is a gift from God, stopping that it's mine mentality, we quickly realize that because of that, we're just here to steward it, to do a good job with it. 
And then in the New Testament, again, there's loads of stories about us being good stewards or bad stewards. And we quickly see that money is power. And we get to decide what we do with that. And by giving to like charities, for example, who are transforming people's lives, that's treasure in heaven. When we choose to give to fund an Alpha course so people come to know Jesus and know how much they're loved and what their purpose is, that's treasure in heaven. When we give to our local church who can help us be good disciples of Jesus, affecting the spheres that we live and work and socialize in, that's treasure in heaven. And when we get how cool that invitation is, why would we not do that? We get to be not only the hands and feet of Jesus as the body of Christ, the church, but we get to be the purse holders too, and that's really exciting. Um, I, um, I've been doing a lot of running this year. I'm giving myself a bit of a challenge. I have to do 1,000 kilometers in the year. Um, so to pass the time, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. Um, and I've been listening to some podcasts on revival recently, which has been really interesting. And what's been really clear is that actually, often, revival is um, sustained by radical movements of generosity. And you look back even at the early church account of the birth of the early church um, in Acts 2. It says this. It says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And a bit later it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Giving paves the way for kingdom. Really exciting stuff. So how do we respond to Jesus' call to give practically? Okay. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about me here. And I was a bit reticent about doing this because I am not the finished product. And I don't want you to think, oh, Chloe's doing it because she knows what she's doing and she's a super Christian. Far from it. Um, if you're going to follow anyone, follow Jesus. <laughs> but I just think that if we're talking about something like this, we need to know practically what it can look like to outwork it. So for me, I choose to give a literal tithe of what I earn. Um, that comes out as a standing order of my bank account each month as the first thing that comes out um, so that I'm not going, oh, no, I've spent too much money on Vinted. I haven't got any money left over this month. Um, so it's coming out as the first thing. Um, and for me, I choose to give it to Metro, um, and that's because um, I know that the Woodlands group of churches that that money goes to, um, they're really good at seeing need and financing stuff that is of God's kingdom. I know that with the gifts that they're given, they're very good, good, they're very good gift givers themselves, that they give a lot of that money away to local charities who've got need, to mission partners, to links they've got all around the world. And while sometimes I don't know where's best to give my money, I know that they do. And the other reason why I choose to give to Metro is because I really truly believe that giving is as much part of belonging to our church as is coming, serving. We come, belong, we serve, we give, it all goes together. And Jesus talks about where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. That's in Matthew 6. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Now me, I want my heart to be for the kingdom of God, right? So by giving a physical proportion of what I earn to God's kingdom work, to church, I'm trying to align myself. I'm trying to go, yeah, God, I want to be all for your kingdom. I'm going to position myself to show that I'm for your kingdom. Um, interestingly, though, that's just the tithe stuff. <laughs> and like I've said, really, that tithe is the bare minimum. We're called to be radically generous in our life. And um, I've been married for about five years now. And when we first got married, um, we were really challenged by this as a couple. Um, the idea that actually that 10% is just the beginning, it's the tip of the iceberg. And we really wanted to be radical givers in our marriage. 
And what we've done is we've challenged ourselves that every year we've been married, we try and up the percentage that we give on top of our tithe. Um, so it's been great for us to give to some charities that we've got links with, some projects that we're really passionate about, or we feel like we're seeing God's kingdom in them. Um, and that's been amazing to sit back and go, wow, look how much we've managed to give away. That's incredible. But I also just want to be totally upfront and honest, because I think sometimes people hear these talks and they go, oh, that's nice for you. You clearly have got all the money to be able to do that. Um, I'm going to be totally brutally honest and say that there is a cost in doing that. <laughs> um, and actually, um, like, whilst I don't begrudge giving at all, and God doesn't want that. If you're sat here today and you're like, oh, no, I don't want to be giving, that's not what God wants at all. He wants us to be cheerful givers. I must admit that giving, there is some sacrifice to that. And it's affected a lot of the decisions that we've made in our life so that we can continue to give. Um, it's affected the kind of house we live in, the cars we drive, the clothes we wear, the holidays we go on. Um, and when we're, when we're thinking and planning financially, um, like, you know, given the whole financial situation right now, it would be so easy to hoard it all for ourselves, right? To go, no, this is mine. We really need this. And it can be a little bit scary sometimes to be like, no, we're going to give it away. But absolutely, God has 100% blessed this decision. And you ask anyone in this room who is a regular giver, and they'll tell you that they don't live in a lack, that time and time again, God has come through for them in really, really incredible ways. I know stories even within Metro of people who have got jobs that they shouldn't have got, got cars they shouldn't have got, got houses that they shouldn't have got. God is so kind. God is so good. And it delights him to give us good gifts. And whilst absolutely we're not saying give money away and God's going to give you loads of money back and you're going to be super rich. That's not what it's about. Um, you read a lot of the stories in the, the New Testament, the stories of Jesus. And one of Jesus's specialities was abundance in the face of scarcity. And so, for me right now, the 100% great stuff coming back that Jesus, is, Jesus promises, not necessarily, I don't necessarily see that in the material way ex exactly, um, but I definitely see it in terms of the mindset. For me, when I'm giving away, my anxiety just, just lessens around the face of money. Because I know I'm trying to do things God's way, and, and I don't live in a lack. He's got me. He's caring for me. He's the God that's got all the resources in the world. I'm not going to miss out. It's going to be fine doing things his way. So that's me, but over to you guys. So today, if you're just visiting us, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can let this all just breeze over you. This is not for you. We are not a church asking for your money at all. But if you do consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we have to acknowledge that the call to give is for us. And I don't want to say, right, get your, get your phones out, we're going to make a commitment right now to give, everyone do it, because actually I want this to be a matter between you and God, of discipleship between you and him. I want you to take action, to not just leave today and go, oh, I'm going to forget that now, but to go, actually, yeah, how can I be following this call to give? And I think there are three main action groups we've got here. And the first is, if you're sat here today and you're thinking, I am really anxious about money. Money has got a huge hold on my life. And whether that's because you're in debt or you've just got into some situations that just haven't been good for you at all. Um, for you, I want you to know that there's no shame in that. But also that Jesus doesn't want you to stay in that. Jesus doesn't want you to be bound by, by money and by finances. He doesn't want to let it rule you. So for you, we would absolutely love to be praying for you. So I'm going to be at the back a little bit later along with a few others. We'd love to be praying for you about those situations. But also take practical steps. Tell a Christian friend. Um, talk to your Metro mentor if you've got one of them. Um, there are some cap 
money courses that run a couple of times at Woodlands each year. And in a non-condescending way, they are brilliant at teaching us how to finance management, um, how to look after what we've got, how to get ourselves out of debt that we might have got into. So do get someone to hook you up with one of those. And the second action group we've got today is if you're here and you know you don't give, and you, call, you, know, you, you feel the call of Jesus in your life and you're a follower of him, but you're not giving at the moment. My challenge to you is to start giving. Start where you are. Um, don't wait going, oh no, I'll wait until I'm earning this amount of money. Um, because trust me, it's much easier to get used to the giving muscle when you've got a small amount rather than when you're trying to give a large amount away. Get used to it. It's a great thing to do. Um, if you want to do this practically, I'd really recommend giving to Metro if you call that your home church, just as being part of belonging, as part of being part of the furniture, part of the family. Um, and if you want to do that, you can head on to our Woodlands Metro webpage. And there's a little banner at the top that you can press that says giving. And it makes it really easy for you to set up regular payments or for you to set up kind of one-off spontaneous giving as well. And the third group of us is those, I think there's quite a lot of us here actually, who are already giving. We kind of got the tithe thing down. And I really want to challenge you that the 10%, that's the bare minimum that Jesus calls us to radical generosity and to challenge you to not go, okay, how much have I got to give? But to go, how much do I get to give? Um, work out how little you can live with so you can give it away like Jesus did. It's a really, really amazing invitation, a great challenge for us. So big idea today, it's not behind me, sorry, you have to bear with me reading it out, is Jesus' call to give is for all those who follow him. Putting money first in our lives is no good for our happiness, but giving is good for us, helping us put God first, helping us to be content with what we do have, and helping us finance God's kingdom work in the world around us. So I'm going to pray for us now, um, and the band are going to pop back up again, but I'm going to be in that corner a little bit later with a few other people. We would love to pray for you um, for whatever reason it is, whether it's a money thing or something else, but do come find us. We'd love to pray. Cool, let's pray now together. God, we thank you so much that you know us, you love us, you know our individual situations. We thank you that you talked so much about money really practically um, in the Bible and that it's not a grey area, it's not one that we can skirt around, but you really clearly tell us what we should be doing for our happiness and for our thriving. God, I pray right now particularly for anyone who's really anxious um, about their money situation. God, I pray that you would be with them, you would comfort them, you would get around them, and God, would you show them this isn't how it's meant to be, and you'd show them ways of getting out of that situation. Lord, I pray that even this week they had good discussions with people who can help and support them. And God, I pray for those of us who have kind of thought about maybe giving at some point but haven't got around to it. Lord, I pray that you'd nudge our hearts, that today, today and this week as we spend time with you, that you would um, come and poke us a little bit, if that's for us. Um, that you would, um, yeah, you would be with those people. And God, we pray for those of us who really want to follow this challenge of um, being kingdom people, of living a life of radical generosity. Help us to work out how we can do that practically. And that all of us would know you as our ultimate um, provider of good things and that we do not live in a lack. Thank you, Jesus, that you are good and that you, you, you specialize in abundance in the face of scarcity. Amen.